He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Amen. Well, uh, we are back in the book of Leviticus today, despite the fact that our scripture reading was from Mark chapter 1. I have decided to have compassion on our scripture readers and not ask them to read directly from the book of Leviticus over the next few weeks, as the sections we're embarking upon get interesting. Uh, And in Mark chapter 1, you saw leprosy. You heard of this man with leprosy, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. I do want to give you uh, a quick heads up. There are two Sundays coming up uh, where we will be dealing with some more sensitive subject matter. Uh, On September 11th, we will be in Leviticus chapter 18, and that is all about sexuality and sexual activities. And as always, I'm never uh, trying to be graphic or gratuitous, but this is what's in the Bible, and we're going to deal with it honestly and frankly. Next week, uh, while not directly about sex and sexuality, it is about body fluids that are involved in the human reproduction system. So... There are certain words that I will be forced to say because they are in the Bible. So I have two requests for all of you. Number one, invite your boss, okay? (laughs) And I want you to lead with something to the effect of, you won't believe what our church is doing, okay? Uh, And what it is, is we're just reading the Bible, right? Uh, that's, That's the first request. The second request is, for those of you who currently do serve in our kids' ministry, I would love for you to please make yourself as available as possible next Sunday and September 11th, because we want to be able to deal with these things in a frank sort of way without having, let's say, second graders, third graders here in the room with us. Again, I'm never trying to be crass or or gratuitous, but I do want to speak frankly about these topics that the Bible addresses. And if you don't currently serve in our children's ministry, boy, you've got a week to get signed up. We'd love to have all of our classes open. Sometimes in the summertime, you know, certain classes, we aren't able to open them as much because we don't have all the volunteers here, but please consider getting involved. You can email yana at soundcitybiblechurch.com, or you can talk to myself or any one of the volunteers out in the lobby afterwards. We can get you signed up right away because we would love to bulk up our kids' ministry. But for today, skin disease and mildew. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you come to us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are present to us right now. I pray that you would calm our restless and anxious hearts, our weary and burdened hearts, our, our fearful and hiding hearts. Lord, would you help us to be aware of your presence right now? And Lord, we thank you that you also come to us through your word. And Lord, although uh, admittedly 
these, these chapters may sound a little strange to our ears. We believe that what the Bible says is true, that all scripture is breathed out by you, Lord God, and it's given to us for, for our profit to teach us and to rebuke us and to correct us and to train us to be righteous women and men. Lord, would you guard my lips? Help me only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And may this time glorify Jesus. In whose name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So uh, this last week I had some car trouble. I've been on the record. I stay on the record. My position is unchanged. I hate cars with a burning passion. So I had some car trouble. I had a spark plug issue. I had some, one plug get fouled, and so it's kind of running rough and misfiring. And I'm driving home on Tuesday, and as I'm driving home, right near my house, I drove past a car, and this car looked like, uh, I mean, it just, it had like dents all over it. It had cracks in the windshield. It had different colored fenders. The bumper was hanging off. The, the driver's side mirror was like literally like hanging down and kind of dangling by its wire. And as I drove past that car, the thought went through my mind, what a piece of junk. And then I turned the hill to try to go up towards my house and barely made it up because my car was sputtering so bad. And then as though to like add insult to injury, when I got home, I took the key out of the ignition and the key has like got the buttons built into it and I lost the screw for it. And as I pulled the, the key out, my key fob exploded and pieces of it went all over my driveway. And I thought to myself, man, I am one judgmental jerk because here I am judging someone else for the way that their car appears. Meanwhile, my car on the outside, it looks like a perfectly nice, you know, 11-year-old Honda Pilot, uh, but it's running rough and the key fob is falling apart. And who am I to sit here in judgment? Who knows? Maybe that person, maybe that car looked like that because they raced it in like whatever, the, you know, like funny car races or something like that. Maybe it's got a killer engine in it or, or maybe the person was driving it because they know how to fix cars. They went to school at Hogwarts or whatever, and they, you know, they're, gonna, they're one of those people that know how to fix I don't know the situation. Maybe they just don't have very much money, and they're just doing the best they can with what they had. And, and I was just sitting there thinking, like, my car in that moment was a piece of junk, but it just didn't look like it. Their car looked like it. So it raises the question, what do you do when something in your life just can't be hidden? What do you do when you just can't cover it up and hide anymore? You know, in the Bible, we deal with two things where appearances can be deceiving. On the one side of the equation is sin, wrongdoing, things that we do that we ought not to do. Now, there are quite a few sins that can be hidden and covered up. Can I get an amen from anybody? You can covet, you can lust, you can hate. You can judge the appearance of someone else's car and no one else might really know. The other thing in the Bible that we don't just only deal with sin in the Bible, we also deal with suffering, hardships, brokenness. Not necessarily wrong things that we have done, but things that happen to us. As a pastor, I've walked with many people that have faced diseases, but there are a few people in particular who have diseases where it's, it's just on the inside of their body, maybe an intestinal thing or a, a lung thing, and it's something that nobody would know, nobody would ever know, just walking past in the, in the lobby out there, but they're dealing with a, a, a deep physical ailment. Or I've known people where 
like their marriage is really in a tough place because of the actions of their spouse. And they, you come into church and how's everything? Oh, everything's good. And oh, smile, how you doing? Good, good. Yeah, you good? And, and you could kind of cover it over, but there's deep brokenness. But what do you do when you just can't hide that brokenness? Now today, in our passage, I'm going to deal a little bit less with the sin aspect of it and a little bit more with the brokenness aspect of it because that's what this passage is about. I want to catch you up on Leviticus real quick, though. So if you haven't been with us for Leviticus, this is a crash course. The book of Leviticus is an extremely interesting book, but it's given to God's newly freed people. God calls his people out of slavery in Egypt He sets them free. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And he calls them to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God's powerful holiness comes near. God sets up shop right near them. He says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We are going to dwell together. And he sets up something called the tent of meeting. Now, this tent of meeting is where God is going to, quote unquote, live. We know that God can't be contained by any tent or anything built with human hands. But God says, this is where I'm going to choose to display my power, to display my glory. But you guys know what the problem is, is when God's power and when God's glory shows up, how are you supposed to live? in proximity to the source of life himself? How are, you, how are you supposed to live next to the surface of the sun without being scorched? And so God says there's going to be sacrifices and there's going to be priests and you're going to go through these rituals that will enable you to be able to live near a perfectly holy God. The closer you get to God, the more like him you become, the more holy you become like he is holy, set apart, unique, distinct. And actually, the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, is actually God's new creation project. It's God restarting what went wrong back in the garden, that that in the garden, there's this sanctuary, there's this most holy place where God and humanity could dwell together closely, and Adam and Eve were the first priests, but they failed in their mission and were expelled from the garden. So here, it's like God said, let's set up a new Garden of Eden. If you look at the tabernacle, if you look at the descriptions of the tent of meeting, there's trees in there, and there's cherubim there, and there's all this garden imagery, and God sets up this new new priesthood, the tribe of Levi, and says, this tribe is going to be the new priests that will help bring people into my presence and will help bring God's uh, life into all of the world, which is where I want us to think for a moment here, that this is God's new life entering into a world of death, okay? The book of Leviticus is about a lot of things, but where I want us to focus for right now is the idea that with these ritual purity laws, God is bringing new life into a world of death. How many of you know that our world is filled with death? I was talking with John, one of our pastors the other day, just so many deaths. I did a funeral last Saturday. I mentioned before that my grandma, her, her health was failing. She passed away two weeks ago. So I had two funerals last weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, got a word from some members of our church. Another lady who was a member of our church passed away. Just like, just death everywhere. And in the book of Leviticus, there are certain laws that we call ritual purity laws. Laws about body fluids, laws about skin disease, laws about what animals to eat. And these laws 
These are not about morality. See, like, there's, the idea of moral purity is what's right and wrong. Don't do this, do that. When we talk about ritual purity, we're talking about life and death. We're talking about things that remind us of our mortality, not our morality, but our mortality. And maybe nowhere is this more on display than in the laws about skin diseases. Because as you will see, these skin diseases make you look like a corpse. It reminds you of death. It's a dead man walking. If you got your Bibles and you're feeling brave, open to Leviticus chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. When a person has a swelling, a scab, or spot on the skin of his body, and it may be a serious disease on the skin of his body, pause real quick here, Serious disease, some of your translations will say leprosy. Uh, the Hebrew phrase is negat, tzara'at. It's a double, it's two different words that mean like a mark, a plague that leaves a mark, some sort of thing that you can see. Leprosy is not the best translation for it. I'll, I'll explain more in a minute here. But the other thing is worth noting right at the beginning that no reason is given here. It doesn't say, well, when a person sins and the Lord inflicts them with this skin disease, it just says, when in the course of human events you have a skin disease, it may be serious. And so he is to be brought to the priest, Aaron, or to one of his sons, the other priests. The priest will examine the sore on the skin of his body. Now, here's what the priest is looking for. It says, if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore... By the way, is anyone squeamish here? I apologize. If the, the hair has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, well, it is, in fact, a serious skin disease. After the priest examines him, he must pronounce him unclean. But if the spot on the skin of his body is white and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, well, the priest will just quarantine the stricken person for seven days. Notice the priest's job is to examine and to enforce a quarantine if necessary. This is not a doctor's visit. This is a priestly visit. We're not dealing with modern medicine. We're dealing with ancient ritual purity. The priest will then re-examine him on the seventh day. If he sees that the sore remains unchanged and is not spread on his skin, the priest will quarantine him for another seven days. The priest will examine him again on the seventh day. And if the sore has faded and has not spread on the skin, the priest is to pronounce him clean. It is a scab. Don't pick it. Leave it alone. The person is to wash his clothes and will become clean. But if the scab spreads further on his skin after he has presented himself to the priest for his cleansing, he is to present himself again to the priest and the priest will examine him. And if the scab has spread on the skin, then the priest must pronounce him unclean. He has a serious skin disease. I'm going to skip ahead because it goes on like this for 38 more verses. You're welcome. I want you to be hungry for lunch. It's like, is the skin dull white or shiny white? How deep does the wound go? Is there white or yellow hair on the broken skin? It's like, it's like the ancient Near Eastern version of Dr. Pimple Popper videos. Did any of you guys watch those Dr. Pimple Popper videos? You need to get examined by a priest. There's something wrong with you, okay? By the way, in those verses, I do just want to point this one out. It just made me chuckle. Uh, Leviticus 13, verse 40, it says, if a man, speaking of skin diseases, loses the hair of his head, he is bald. 
but he is clean. (laughs) Or if he loses the hair at his hairline, he is bald on his forehead, but he is clean. Hey, men, you're clean. Not naming any names. I'm not even going there. I just wanted you to know. Let me pause for a quick second, though, and I do want to point this out. I mentioned this a moment ago, but I want, to, I want us to understand something. This will help us read the Bible better. Biblical leprosy is not the same thing as modern leprosy. Modern leprosy, known as Hansen's disease, is a bacterial infection that attacks the nerves. It, it causes all sorts of, of different skin issues, body issues. When you think of like modern day leprosy, think of you know, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India, or all of that kind of stuff. That's a very different disease than what is being described here in the Bible because this is a, a, a wide variety of afflictions, but the most common thing that puts it all together is white skin, white scale skin. Jacob Milgram is the preeminent scholar on Leviticus. He wrote a three-volume commentary. It's over 1,200 pages of commentary on the book of Leviticus. And in one of his commentaries, I've not read the whole thing, but in one of his commentaries, he says this. He says, I invited a respected San Francisco Bay Area dermatologist, Marvin Engel, to address my graduate-level seminar on this subject. He did a graduate seminar on skin diseases, Sign me up. Don't threaten me with a good time. After carefully studying the biblical text and its derivative medical literature, he stated his conclusions without any hesitation. The symptoms described in Leviticus 13 do not correspond to any known skin disease. We are not dealing with something that is known to modern medicine. And in fact, again, I'll just continue to stress, in these ritual purity laws, we're not dealing with something medically predominantly. We're dealing with something that is ritual. This is is white, ashy, flaky, scaly skin. It looks like you are becoming a corpse. It's the forces of death at work here. Do you know why else I know that this is not uh, modern-day leprosy? Because fabric can get it. Verse 47, if a fabric is contaminated with mildew, again, your different translations might have it worded slightly differently, but in the Hebrew, it is negatara'at. Again, it's the exact same phrase in Hebrew as the leprous skin. So if your skin gets a negatara'at, or if your clothing gets a negatara'at, in the wool or linen fabric, in the warp or weft, does anyone know what weft is? Uh, It's the sideways one, right? I can never remember. Anyways, of linen or wool or in leather or anything made of leather, and if the contamination is green or red in the fabric, the leather, the warp, the weft, or any leather article, it is a mildew contamination. It is a negatsara'at, and it is to be shown to the priest. The priest is to examine the contamination and quarantine the fabric. The fabric is quarantined. Your time out, purse. For seven days. The priest is to re-examination the contamination, that's ara'at, on the seventh day, and if it has spread in the fabric, the warp or the weft or the leather, regardless of how it's used, the contamination is harmful mildew, it is unclean, he is to burn the fabric, the warp or the weft, and the wool or the linen or any leather article which is contaminated since it is harmful mildew which should be burned. Okay? So if your skin gets it, if your clothes gets it, but wait, there's more. 
Your walls can get it. Jumping over to chapter 14 and verse 34. When you enter the land of Canaan that I'm giving you as a possession, and I place a mildew contamination, again, in the house of the land you possess, the owner of the house is to come tell the priest, hey, priest, something like a mildew contamination has appeared in my house. Well, the priest must order them to clear the house before he enters to examine the contamination so that nothing in the house becomes unclean. Afterward, the priest will come to examine the house. He will examine it, and the contamination in the walls of the house consists of red or green indentations. I've had some things wrong with my sheetrock before. I've never had red or green indentations. I've had red or green kids' handprints, and I'm like, is that paint or blood? Just wait until they tell me. That appear to be beneath the surface of the wall. The priest is to go outside the house to its doorway, quarantine the house for seven days. The priest is to return on the seventh day and examine it. If the contamination has spread on the walls of the house, the priest must order that the stones with the contamination be pulled out and thrown into an unclean place outside of the city. He is to have the inside of the house completely scraped and the plaster that is scraped off and dumped in an unclean place outside the city. Then they are to take different stones to replace the former ones. It's like a ship of Theseus sort of thing with your house and add additional plaster to re-plaster the house. Time out! This is where people give up on their read through a Bible in a year plan. Right here. This is it. You're sitting here in church on a Sunday morning and you're thinking to yourself, see, I knew I didn't like the book of Leviticus. Why are we talking about scraping rocks and plaster and mold and this, it feels like you're reading a pamphlet at a doctor's office, but also like the back of a bottle of cleaning solution of some sort, right? This is the Bible. This is why I'm always skeptical of people who like, um, politician, I'm always skeptical of politicians, but politicians who are like, we gotta get the Bible and do all this Bible stuff. I'm like, have you read the Bible? Because are we gonna do this? <laughs> gotta learn how to read the Bible. All right, back to the text. Stay with me. I promise you there's a good payoff here. Leviticus 14, going back to verse three. Here the instructions are given to the priest. And the priest is to come. And when he examines, and he sees that the Lord has provided healing for this person's skin, there's a ritual that the priest leads. It says this, if the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person, the priest will order pot. Just really quickly, this is so important. This is not a shaman witch doctor ritual. This is not the priest coming and doing some magic rite or ritual to cleanse the person. This is the priest showing up and saying, the skin disease has disappeared. Who does that work? Who does that work of healing in the body of a human being? The Lord God. So the priest is not coming and doing a witch doctor thing. He's coming and he's doing a ritual of cleansing to help the person experience and to know the cleansing love of God after they've been healed. So the priest is going to do a couple things. He's going to order two live, clean birds, or live uh, can be translated as wild, not domesticated birds. Birds that are going to fly away and not come back to the camp. They're going to symbolically take the uncleanness far, far away. Cedar wood and scarlet yarn two uh, red ingredients to symbolize blood as the source of life. And then they're going to get a hyssop branch. Hyssop is a, a bunchy, spongy sort of plant that, in fact, was actually used as the, as the 
sponge to dab the blood of the Passover lamb to wipe it on the doorposts before the Lord Jesus set his people free out of slavery in Egypt. Hyssop. And it's going to be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. Then the priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water, living water, water that moves, not water from like a reservoir, water from a stream. And the bird will be slaughtered over the fresh water in a clay pot, a, a vessel of the earth. He's to take the live bird with the cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop and dip them all into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the skin disease. And he is to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside to take that impurity away symbolically forever and ever. Now, pause for a minute here. This person has been through a terrible ordeal. They are ritually impure. Their skin bears the mark of death and they are not allowed not only to go into the tabernacle to offer sacrifices to the Lord, but they're not even allowed to go inside of the camp so that their ritual impurity doesn't spread to others. This person has suffered a great deal. They look like a corpse and their skin is white, but now God has provided healing for them. They've been cleansed, they've been healed. And so the priest gets to come and symbolically pronounce them clean. And they get to wash. They get to change their clothes. They get to come back into the camp. They even, it goes on, they get to go back to the tent of meeting and they get to offer the burnt offering and the purification offering and the, and the, and the reparation offering, all these ones that we read about a few months ago. They get to come back in and worship their God and, and be in proximity to God and to be with their fellow brothers and sisters of the people of Israel. They're no longer separated and outside and, and unclean because they no longer bear the, the forces of death, the, the mark of death on their body. They get to come back in and be close to the proximity of the God of life. And remember... All along, through that whole ordeal, they couldn't hide it. They couldn't fake. They couldn't pretend. The priest is examining them once a week, multiple different times. There's no hiding it. There's no covering it. There's no pretending it. You either have this negatzara'at or you don't. Now, these words and all the words of the Torah were not followed by the people of Israel. And there's a lot more than just this, but we could include these laws not being followed. The story of the Old Testament continues on that God's people failed to do what God commanded. God sent his prophets to warn them, hey, judgment will come, consequences will come. You need to listen. You need to take the, the, the moral and the ritual purity stuff seriously. And eventually God's people didn't listen for long enough that God expelled them from the land. He removed them out of his presence, even further outside of the camp. Exile in Babylon. Now, after a period of some decades, they did get to come back into the land of, of Israel and, 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 and they were under Roman occupation. They were under Roman rule and a, a group called the Pharisees were in charge of worship. And these Pharisees were hardcore 
We messed up before. We didn't follow the laws before. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to add all sorts of extra rules, extra laws to be extra hardcore and make sure that we don't ever break the Torah again so that we don't ever get expelled from the land again. And it is into this environment that a man named Jesus comes. His people have been reading these words for for more than a thousand years. Now there's these Pharisees who are super hardcore about all this, and there are people who still suffer from these skin diseases. And you have to imagine that in the time of Jesus, more than a thousand, probably closer to 1,500 years after the book of Leviticus, that people who suffer from these skin afflictions are even more ostracized than before. Mark chapter one, verse 39, he, Jesus, went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out unclean spirits, demons, and a man with leprosy, Negatsaraat, came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, it says, Jesus moved with compassion. Now, some of your translations are going to have a little footnote there. My, my, my Bible has a footnote that says, or indignation. It's kind of a different word, is it not? The word in the Greek, we're in the New Testament, that's where in Greek, the word is related to your guts stirring. It's almost like maybe colloquially we would say like a fire in your belly. And commentators and scholars go back and forth. Well, was Jesus moved with compassion? Well, obviously, he's going to reach out his hand. Or is Jesus moved with indignation? Some scholars say that Jesus is indignant over death and the way that the forces of death are, are wreaking havoc on the good world that he created. Other scholars say, no, Jesus is moved with some sort of indignation over the suggestion from this guy that maybe he wouldn't want to make him clean. Like, are you kidding me? If I'm willing? Of course I'm willing. Either way, Jesus is not passive here. He is stirred up. He is stirred up. If you are willing, make me clean. Moved in his guts, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. By the way, I may have glossed over this back in Leviticus, you don't touch unclean people. When someone is ritually impure, um, I know it probably sounds like a game of cooties to us or something, but it, it spreads, impurity spreads. Death, it's like this force that spreads from person to person. That's why the person had to be moved outside of the camp so they couldn't come into contact with someone else and everyone else becomes ritually impure. This leper, like all other lepers, all of these people suffering from these white, scaly, corpsey skin diseases did not know human touch. But here Jesus shows up and the forces of death are pushed back by the force of life himself. Jesus touched him. I am willing, he said. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus told him, hey, remember, remember what's written in Leviticus? Remember that that cleansing ceremony, go do that with the priest. But just be quiet because I don't want everyone to start coming to me. Well, the guy went and he was not quiet and everyone came to Jesus. 
So this man was a sufferer. It doesn't say that he was a sinner. Maybe he was, we don't know. But we know for sure that he was a sufferer and Jesus cleansed him in a unique sort of way. But friends, I have good news for you today. That what this man and many others experience in a unique sort of way from Jesus is actually available to all of us. Cleansing from the brokenness of the world and the suffering that we experience. Because after Jesus, his earthly life, his ministry, he went to the cross. And I was reading in John 19, and I noticed a few things in John 19. John 19, Jesus is nailed to a cross made of wood. And after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. Jesus was fully God, was and is fully God. But Jesus was and is also fully human. And like all of us clay pots, all of us earthen vessels, Jesus is thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth the same branch that was used to dip the lamb's blood of Passover is now dipped in wine, a blood of a new covenant. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What, just for those of you who've read the Bible, what animal is most commonly associated with the spirit in the Bible? A bird. A bird. Like a bird flying away to take away impurities, Jesus gives up his spirit. Now it's getting late in the day, so the soldiers come along and they want these people being executed to die quicker. So they come along, they broke the legs of the first man and the other one who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. Hyssop, Wood, water, blood, the earthen clay vessel of Jesus' humanity. It's like all of these elements from Leviticus 14 come together here. You know, we often talk about how the cross of Jesus is for our forgiveness, and it is for your sin. But the other side of that coin is that Jesus was publicly broken so that our unhideable brokenness might be healed. Those things that have happened to you in your life, those things that you've suffered from, those things that, that you wish you could just crawl under a rock and die and hide. On the cross, blood and water flowed from the side of Jesus and he carries away your uncleanness. What is it that you feel like you have to cover? What is it you feel like you have to keep to yourself? What is it that you wish that other people in your life didn't know about? What is it you wish that people wouldn't see and didn't, wouldn't find out? You know, where we are, in our part of the world, the suburbs, 
most of us, unless you're driving from further away. Here in the suburbs, there's a, there's a, a common attempt to keep up with appearances. There's a reason why I noticed that car driving through my neighborhood. I don't live in some super fancy neighborhood, but just a normal Edmonds, Linwood neighborhood, and you see this car that's a broken down jalopy, and you look and say, oh, you notice that. People more than ever trying to keep up with appearances because of social media. I can't remember which one it was, which one of the social media apps, but it was recently uh, 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 revealed that even if you're not adding a filter to your photos, there's already a filter running to make you look better. And you're like, why did I not look better? Well, we're all playing this game. We're all playing this stupid game keep up with appearances game, trying to act like, like you've got it all together and, 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 and your stuff doesn't stink, if you know what I'm saying. And you're, you're, you know, maybe it's sin you're trying to hide, but maybe it's just brokenness and weakness and weariness that you're trying to hide. And friends, the good news of the gospel today is that Jesus says, stop playing the game. Come to me and let me wash you. It's like Jesus looking at you, he's like, if I'm willing... Can you hear a loving indignation from your Savior? He says, really? I'm here, blood and water from my side flowing to wash you clean, and you're putting three filters on your TikToks or whatever? I don't even think I know what I'm talking about, but I said that. What are you hiding? What are you covering up? Jesus says, bring it to me. I am willing to make you clean. Jesus was publicly broken. His skin was broken more than skin deep. So that the things that we try to hide, we could bring into the light and experience his healing love. So let me wrap up with a couple of thoughts of how we can do that, okay? Living in Jesus' healing. Number one, first of all, you gotta be honest. You gotta acknowledge your brokenness. And for some of you, that might actually mean being honest with yourself. Uh, I always love the scene in uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, when the, the black knight has his arms and his legs all the way cut off, and he goes, it's merely a flesh wound, right? Some of you are deeply wounded. You're deeply hurting. And you're not willing to acknowledge it even to yourself keeping up the appearances, keeping up the image, keeping up the picture. Living in Jesus' healing starts with acknowledging the brokenness, right? The priest comes, examines, yep, this is the serious one. Number two, look upon Jesus' brokenness. In the face of Jesus, as he hangs on that cross, nail-pierced hands, a crown of thorns on his head, Naked, humiliated, scorned and rejected. Do you think that Savior is going to reject you? Do you think that Savior is going to wag his finger at you? No, that Savior is telling you, come to me. I'm broken too. Number three, you need to find a priestly sort of friend. Apostle John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with what? One another. And I bet you, 
Maybe you don't believe me, but I'd be willing to bet that there's someone in your life who could embody the kind of care that these priests would have and the kind of care that our high priest Jesus has for you. Someone who could listen, not judgmentally. Somebody you could say some things to and they're not gonna go (gasps) and react with shock. And maybe lastly, I encourage you, be that priestly sort of friend. Learn how to be less shocked by the brokenness of the world. Friends, we're living in a world that is marked with death. And even when there's things that aren't necessarily about morality, it's not about sin and right and wrong, there's still just brokenness. There's just things about this world that right now in its present form, it's wasting away. But friends, one day Jesus will return. And one day all that has come undone will be made new. That's what the tabernacle represented. That's what Jesus' earthly ministry and life represented. How many of you look forward to that day? No more skin diseases, no more brokenness. And until that day, we come to Jesus every single day, no phoniness, no pretending. We say, would you wash me clean? In a moment here, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table and you'll have an opportunity to examine yourself before coming forward to receive of the cup and the, and the bread. We're also gonna sing a song that we've not sung in many years at Sound City. And this, I, I, I asked us as a band if we could sing this song because it speaks about this idea of, I don't wanna come pretending anymore. I wanna come really who I am. And so I'll invite you to prepare your hearts now to receive. I'll invite Pastor Steve to come lead us in communion. Lord, we come to you as though we could hide as though you don't already see all, but we come to you, Lord, now with our brokenness, our weariness. Lord, as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, I ask and pray that you would help us to believe that even though you see all things, you're not shocked, you're not surprised, you're not disappointed, you're not wagging your finger or shaking your head at us. You invite us to simply come and receive your cleansing, healing love. I pray that that would be real for us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.